Well, the Earth was destroyed by a great disaster, worldwide disaster, and it was not a giant asteroid that fell from outer space. Very interesting. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, taking you through the Bible today. We're in Genesis 6. We're going to talk about this in just a few minutes, but this is the beginning of the flood. And we're going to talk about how that changed things coming up. Corey is back. Corey. Yes, today I'm going to be taking a look at the authorship of the Bible. Ryan? Today I'm going to be dealing with a common objection to Noah's flood, the ark. All right. Well, and of course, a lot of people have a problem with the ark, but that's interesting. Janice, what did you do? Be a leader by being a follower. <laughs> All right. Did you get that? Be a leader by being a follower? All right. Very good. Well, let's focus on today's teaching as we begin this program. And then we're going to be studying this for the next half hour. So let's see what God said. Genesis 6. 1 through 14. Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God, and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Well, there was a great catastrophe that happened at one time in the earth's history. We're reading Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9 today, and it's very interesting. You know, the Bible records that early in the world's history, a great disaster wiped out everything. And I mean everything. Now, this event was not an asteroid, 
nor a mere volcanic eruption, but a worldwide catastrophic flood, according to the Bible. The Bible says the ground broke open and the sky was darkened. That's where the water came from, the ground and the sky. And waters began to flood the earth. And all flesh and plant life died in that great flood. But there was a man named Noah, whose name means comfort, who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah and his family, they were delivered from death of the flood. Safe in the ark, God had instructed Noah to prepare. And there is evidence of the flood all over the world. It is interesting to note that, in fact, there are over 130 ancient cultures that speak of a flood story. Genesis chapter 6 reveals what happened to offend God so much that it would cause him to flood the earth, resulting in the death of all living things except the animals on the ark, Noah and his family. Now, this is very important. Now, keep this in mind because this is the time when we begin to understand that suddenly meat is available and meat has to be brought into the equation because man is primarily eating plants. Plants were slightly different. They grew bigger. They were seemed to be, you know, more fruitful and everything else. But things changed after the flood. You know, it's very interesting. And today, the ancient flood that we talk about comes from Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9. And then, of course, from nine on, that's after the flood. Noah and his family, eight people in all, carry the Ark of the Covenant. They made it, and it seems strange because it did not rain in those days. But then suddenly, the ground broke open. Water came from the deep underneath the ground, sprayed into the sky. Everything was changing and the atmosphere changed and a lot of things shifted around. Very interesting. There's a lot of work done on the flood story. And I, I want to say that you can get some of that work at AnswersInGenesis.com. Nevertheless, let's pray and ask God to show us exactly what we're talking about. Father, I pray today as we look at the flood that we would understand the violations that happened as the people began to do things. And they totally turned over their souls to the control of evil ones. And I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you would help us to hear what your word says. Thank you, Father. Teach us your ways and show us your paths. And we said together, amen. Now, if you don't have a Bible guide, turn, you know, you can write to us or call us at 519-940-8338 or 724-733-8336. Or you can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and download it there. Very, very, very important. Now, this is interesting because here we see Genesis chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. Listen carefully to how God begins this. Now, it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves now notice what I said, what I read, the sons of God. Really? There were giants in the earth in those days and afterwards. When the sons of God, there it is again, came to the daughters of men and they bore children to them. 
Sons of God. Who does that mean? Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil, was only evil continually. Now look at this. A terrible violation of the flesh emerged upon the earth. This is what the Bible teaches. God was not pleased with this wickedness. Now, understand that the sons of God are used in the Old Testament tends to refer to people who are angels. And the angel seems to have lost their place and violated the pr principles of God. And, you know, it's, it's, there's a whole discussion there I don't want to get into right now, but that's very interesting. Now, some people believe that was the sons of Cain and all. Hold on a minute. We need to talk about this as what the Bible says. It says the sons of God. Very interesting. Genesis chapter six, verses six and eight. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart that he made man. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I created from the face of the earth, both man and his beast, creeping thing and the birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. Now listen carefully, verse eight. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Fascinating. God chose to destroy the earth and all flesh within it. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I, I, I want to tell you this something so amazing about that. How did Noah find grace? Well, there's a lot of discussion here and we don't have time to go into it. But it's important to remember that Noah was favored and there are eight people that were brought onto the ark, which God told them to build. Very interesting. Now, verses 9 to 14, we have to read this. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God, and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the earth was also corrupted before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now he says in verse 14, make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. Fascinating. God instructs Noah to build an ark. Through God's grace, Noah and his family would be saved in the ark, as well as the land and the air and the animals that were with him. The birds and the bugs and everything that God brought. Now, this is fascinating. Let's listen. God brought to the ark all of the ones that he wanted to preserve. Of clean animals, there were two each, male and female, of of, uh, or rather of uh, unclean animals, two of each, male and female. Clean animals, there were seven. Why? Because there would have to be a sacrifice at the end. Nevertheless, God knew what he was doing and God designed this. And so it happened that the ground broke open and literally almost a year, all the water came out and the water flooded the earth. And that ark was a really interesting place until it landed finally. 
And then that took place Genesis chapter nine, where God gives the expression of what the future is now. Fascinating. This is the story of the catastrophe that wiped out the earth. Welcome back to the program. Today, to go along with the flood account recorded in Genesis chapter six through nine, I'm gonna be dealing with a common objection to the great deluge, the ark. And believe it or not, the ark is what prevents a lot of people from believing that the flood was a real historical event. They think that such a vessel could never ever have survived a global flood. But my question would be, which ark are we talking about? Are we talking about storybook arcs that we often see portrayed in children's books? Or are we talking about an ark based upon the dimensions given in the Bible? Well, this is the topic of our discussion today. But before we get going, I just want to mention two things. First, today's piece has been published in January's Bible Discovery Guide. So if you have a copy, I really encourage you to turn to it. And if you aren't subscribed to, this, to the Discovery Guide, then why not? It can be yours for a donation of any amount to the ministry. And the second thing I wanted to mention is that today's piece was recorded on location from Teen Ranch, Canada. And I plan to do on location pieces from time to time this year. Now, with that being said, let's go. Hi friends, it's Ryan Hember here on location from Teen Ranch, Canada. And in this video, I'm gonna be dealing with a common objection regarding the flood of Noah, the ark. So grab your Bibles and let's go. Okay, so let's face it. While there are those who think that the Bible is the world's greatest book, its harshest critics think it's the world's greatest book of fiction. But I have to wonder whether these skeptics have carefully read and studied the Bible or history for themselves, or if they've subjected themselves to highly embellished or downright fictional retellings by Hollywood, pop science, and the like. And Noah's Flood is a prime example. And you know, I think the main problem that people have with believing in the Flood is the Ark. I mean, come on, could such a vessel really have survived the flood? First of all, a lot of people can't even get past the ark's shape. But that's very ironic, since the Bible says absolutely nothing about its shape. While the Bible records the ark's dimensions and a few other details, it gives no indication as to its specific form. So any criticism about the ark's shape should be directed toward the artists, a lot of whom have completely ignored the few details the Bible does give and have created a totally unrealistic vessel of their own imaginings. The most common of these are what we could call bathtub arcs, seen in most children's stories, which have the dimensions and shape of a claw-footed bathtub with a house stuck on top. Now, while these pictures might be cute, we need to be careful because they can lead and have led some people into thinking that the flood event was just children's fiction with a moral to the story. And when we compare these fictional arcs with biblically-based renderings, we see a massive difference. Thankfully, there have been a few realistic illustrations over the years, but one of the most thoughtful biblical designs to date is the Lovett design, created by ARC researcher and engineer Tim Lovett which is what the life-size Ark Encounter is based upon. 
Now, obviously, the fictional arcs portrayed in children's stories and the like would prove disastrous in a global flood. But an arc based upon the realistic dimensions provided in the Bible is a totally different story. Still, some people think that the size and material of the ark pose major problems. The Bible tells us that it was a wooden vessel 300 cubits long. Now, depending on which cubit Noah used, the ark would have been between 450 to 510 feet long. And some skeptics claim that a wooden vessel of this size would break apart. But did you know that history alone is enough to disprove that idea? The fact is, classical literature records huge wooden ships of a comparable size to the ark. One of these was the Greek ship Leontifera. Somewhere between four to 500 feet long, it performed admirably in an Aegean sea battle in 280 BC. So if wooden ships of compatible size were built and functioned well, then obviously functioning wooden ships that size could be built. Well, I really hope that you enjoyed the segment today. And if you're ever in the area, I really want to encourage you to visit and support Teen Ranch. You can also check them out online. But I also wanted to mention that this segment was only a small snippet of the original 12-minute video. In the full video, I deal with not just one question, but five. I talk about how the ark could have survived the flood, if Noah even had the ability to build such a vessel, how he fed all the animals on the ark, how he rounded up all the animals, and where the ark finally landed. So if you want to see that, I've posted it to my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Ryan Hembry. And I encourage you to subscribe because I'm going to be regularly uploading videos like this to that channel. You can also find this video in print form on our website at BibleDiscoveryTV.com. That is uh, an excellent, uh, excellent video, Ryan. Really, really like it. Uh, it's important for us to remember that the Bible is dealing with facts. And it's dealing with the, the reality of, of, you know, okay, this is what we have to deal with. The reality, not make, made up ventures or anything like that. So it's very, very good. Corey? All right. So today I want to talk about the authorship of the Bible as a whole. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of argumentation that goes on surrounding this. Uh, some of it is quite uninformed and some of it is informed. There's, you know, who wrote it? When was it written? All, all of these things. But I want to take a little bit of a different angle on the authorship debate today. Let's see what the Bible has to say about the people who wrote it. Take a look. Much debate surrounds exactly how, when, and where the Old Testament of the Bible was written. So much debate that we've often failed to take into account what the Bible itself claims, that it was written and edited by a succession of prophets of God. The Bible records that there were many true prophets throughout its history, and even many writing prophets. It's notable then that not all of these texts or prophets' works were included in scripture, only that which was specially recognized as authoritative. The first author and editor of scripture was the prophet Moses, who is said to have written a copy of the law on stone tablets and placed it in the Ark of the Covenant that was kept in the tabernacle and later the Temple of Solomon. Moses also wrote a copy on a scroll and stored that beside the Ark of the Covenant. Next, Moses' understudy and successor, Joshua, is said to have added to this book of the law. After Joshua, the prophet and judge Samuel is also said to have written and placed his writings in that same tabernacle. This signals Samuel's importance, pointing to his authoritative role in continuing the work begun by Moses and Joshua. 
at this time when Israel began to follow a king instead of a prophet, an unusual boom in prophecy also began with Samuel at its helm. Samuel is seen leading a group of prophets, which many take as evidence of a type of mentorship program for prophets. This unusual move of God may have been a response to the people's move away from God-inspired political leadership, and many believe this established the succession of prophets that we read about in the books of Kings and Chronicles, called the Sons of the Prophets. And apparently, there was also a recorded register of tried-and-true prophets of God. This register included Jeremiah, who wrote his books and is believed to have compiled the books of kings as we have them today. The final supposed writing and scripture editing prophet of God seems to have been Ezra, the priest and scribe, who is credited with writing Ezra Nehemiah and compiling the books of Chronicles. Now, one thing I wanted to highlight from that segment is, remember how we talked about how Moses wrote a copy of the law and he placed it, one in the Ark of the Covenant and one uh, beside the Ark of the Covenant. So basically in the presence of God. Now, this is really cool because in the ancient Near East, not just in Israel, but in the culture surrounding Israel, when a covenant was made uh, between a king and a people group or between two parties of any sort, they would routinely put that covenant in the temple of the God that they claimed as their authority. So this is uh, symbolic uh, of God's authority to carry out the covenant as well. And it's really interesting because last year, I don't know if you, uh, people who follow biblical archeology span probably have heard of this. The Associates for Biblical Research uh, found a, 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 a curse amulet on Mount Ebal where Joshua's altar, there used to be a sanctuary to God there. And it was uh, a curse having involving a covenant that probably would have been placed in the presence of God. So there's good evidence, not only from the Bible, but also from archaeology, that the Israelites specifically saw God as their authority uh, and would have routinely placed oaths and covenants in the temple and tabernacle. It shows up everywhere. God's word shows up everywhere. That is amazing, Corey. Very good. Excellent. Janice? Well, the title of my segment today might have thrown you for a loop because it was Be a Leader Who Follows. How can you be a leader who follows? Well, we can be leaders as we follow Christ with our own lives. When we do that, when we commit to follow the Lord, to know His Word, to spend time in His Word and to get to know Him every day, we can be leaders in this world. Now. When we follow Christ, He ignites the purpose inside of us, the, the reason why we were created in the first place. And we can begin to change our attitudes as we grow closer to the Lord. And that means that the things, the propensities that we have grown up with, um, maybe you're somebody who gets angry very quickly, or maybe you have, have the thoughts of always taking from the stores, stealing. Those kinds of things can be very deep within us and, and have the habits that are really difficult for us to break. But as we follow the Lord, He helps us to overcome those things. We have different attitudes than the world does, and we can lead in that. We don't have to be a follower of the world. 
As we follow Christ, we change and now we can lead. We can walk into a room and be the encourager, not the one that that gets uh, gossiping about this one or that one. We can change the subject. We can be thankful. We can be hopeful because we do have a hope for our future where many people in the world today have put their hope in things that are man-made and that have in the last two and a half to three years, we have seen a lot of those man-made things fail. Things that we have put our trust in have begun to fail. And actually, as a believer, I'm quite glad to have been tested in those areas and continue to be tested in those areas because a lot of times, even as believers, we trust in things before we trust in God. And when we see that, that's when we need to, to, to ask for his help again. Here's some different attitudes. In Galatians chapter 5, we read, now, the way the old attitudes are, the way the world lives, is it's called the works of flesh. They're evident. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, out, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambi- ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those are the things we give over to God and ask His help to change us. And here's what happens. We begin to grow the fruit of God's Spirit in us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Did you hear those first three? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. These are the way that we can be leaders as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ in this world. We can be the encouragers. We can be the ones who love especially the people that are unlovable. It's easy to love people who are lovable, not so easy to love those who are unlovable, to be peaceful, to be gentle, to be the encouragers. That's who we need to be in this world today. Let's be leaders as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep him close to our heart. Stay with us this year as we go through the word of God together, learning and growing together. I want to tell you that uh, a marker that you can find our YouTube is at Pastor Rod Hembry, at Pastor Rod Hembry on YouTube. Search it and find out. We do our answers from Bible questions. We do all of that there. So make sure you join us and find out what's going on. We also post the prayer meetings there, which are Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 3.30 to 4.30. Now today we need to pray and say, Lord, 
Help me to tell others about who you really are. And you've saved us. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name.